you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn over to a familiar text, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. The story is told of a man who had been bitten by a dog, and he uh, contracted rabies from it. And he was, he was in the hospital, and uh, this is back before, years ago, before they had any kind of antidote for it or whatever. So the doctor came in and he said, look, pal, I, I got some really bad news for you. Um, you were bit by that dog, you got rabies, you're going to die. And the guy kind of slumped back on his pillow. The doctor wasn't quite sure what to say, so he slipped down into the hallway and he was walking back a little bit later and he looked into the room and the guy was writing like crazy. And he thought, man, this, this, is, this is marvelous. So he walked into the room and he said, I just gave you some of the worst news of your life. And you have the, 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 the state of mind to actually sit down and write out a will. I, I, it's phenomenal to me. Guy looked at him and said, Doc, this ain't no will. This is a list of people I plan to fight before I die. <laughs> I wonder, is there anybody you would like to fight before you die? It's easy to have such a list, isn't it? C.S. Lewis said, forgiveness is a beautiful word in the abstract. But none of us like it up close. Isn't that true? I don't mind talking about forgiveness. But you start talking about forgiveness between my wife and I? Man, that's, that's too close. That's where the pain often comes. And so one of the questions that surfaces when it comes to this whole issue of forgiveness is should there be a limit to our forgiveness? Perhaps I should take a minute just to explain something to you. This helps me. Maybe it'll help you too. Because um, I think sometimes the word forgiveness is used in somewhat of a sloppy way in our day if we're not careful. I would like to distinguish two kinds of what we might call forgiveness. Overarchingly, virtually every time you read it in the scripture, with the exception of maybe one passage, when the Bible talks about forgiveness... It's what we would call transactional forgiveness. So to use my friend John here as an example. So I sin against John. John comes and confronts me about it. I repent. I say, John, will you forgive me for what I did? He then, as a transaction, can look back at me and say, Doug, promise not to bring this matter up again to you, to myself, or to anyone else that would be detrimental to our relationship. And what happens now is we can begin to reconcile. It's a transaction. What happens if John comes up to me and says, Doug, you said that, it really, really hurt me. And I say, go jump in the lake. Grow up baby, or whatever, something like that, okay. Um, what's he supposed to do? Well, he can't transactionally forgive me, but he should have an attitude that desires to forgive me. He should try to overcome evil with good. 
He should bless those that curse him. He should love his enemy. He should pray for those which despitefully use him. The Bible is rich in the language as he moves back toward me. This particular passage is all about transactional forgiveness. Now, just to kind of set the stage, when you're reading through the book of Matthew, Matthew 18 in particular, one of the things you'll find very, very quickly is Jesus is dealing with us, the community of faith. And, 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 and Jesus is a realist. He knows in the community of faith there will be times when people will offend and there will be times when people are offended, right? I mean, if you're living and breathing and you bring more than one person together, hello, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the way it works. And so in verses 5 down to verse 14, Jesus deals with this one side of forgiveness, I mean, this one aspect of, of not offending. And one of the things you find is everyone in here is valued by Christ, so everybody in here should be valued by us. And so Jesus will put that little child on the lap and say, look, what you do to them, you actually do to me. So welcome them as if you were welcoming me. So he talks about don't offend, and if you offend, it's, it's serious consequences. Remember what he says? It's better that somebody would take a huge millstone, tie it around you, take you out in the middle of the sea of Galilee and drop you in. That's pretty serious, isn't it? Rather than you living a life of offending others. So it's like serious business to God. And he talks about why. He talks about how much God loves them and he's died for them and he reaches out for them. Great stuff. First 14 verses. Don't offend. Well, then you have to deal with this side. What do you do if you are offended? And he sets up a whole procedure there in verse 15. And we, we typically use it for what we call church discipline. It's great stuff. All the way down through verse 20, he talks about what I should do when I go to the person. If not, I go back to somebody else. And I go through that whole process. Well, Peter is listening to this whole thing. You know, he's saying, all right, all right. So somebody offends me. I go to them. They repent. I forgive them. Yeah, but like, should there be a limit to that? Look at verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, we don't know this for sure, but it's kind of interesting. There is a later rabbinic tradition that, that says you only have to forgive people three times times. And after that, uh-uh. Then you're done. Literally. And it will say, somebody sins against you, you go tell them, they repent, strike one. It happens again, strike two. Happens again, strike three. They come to you the fourth time, forget it. You don't have to forgive them anymore. If, and I don't know this for sure, but if Peter was thinking of that rabbinic tradition, and Peter said, Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Uh, up to seven times? Then he's thinking, Lord, I doubled what the rabbi said and added one. <laughs> and he's expecting that Jesus will look at him and say, Peter, you are my guide. 
I mean, there's rabbis through three. You've got one and add one. You were, I mean, I'm so glad you're on the team. I think that's probably what Peter's expecting. That's not exactly what he gets. What does Jesus say in response? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. So is Jesus suggesting you should have a pad of paper out and say 47, 48? Is, is that the point? Or is he saying there is no limit to our forgiveness? And then Jesus does here what he does so often in the scriptures. He tells a story. If Jesus tells you a story, you're in a heap of trouble. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, this is the way it works out, right? I mean, Hey, Peter, I, I'm going to talk to you about what the kingdom of God is like now. And Peter goes, oh, okay, whatever. And he's listening along. He's like, you know, Peter, there's this thing in the tail. Just hold on. It's coming. <laughs> so Jesus tells a story, which if you've been around Christianity for any period of time, you've heard a thousand times. It's a great story. Will you do me a favor? Remember that old Kellogg's commercial, Taste Again, for the first time? When you try to act like you don't know what happens in this story. There's three scenes. We're going to kind of walk through them. And I want you to watch in particular for the elements that Jesus puts into the story which are not true to life. They're like way over the top and they shock us to death. Watch for the shock factor in this story. Three scenes. The first scene is going to take place in the courtroom of a king. Listen to what the text says. Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Nothing at all unusual about that. People have to raise taxes. They have to bring in money. They have to show an accounting to the king, wherever that king might be. No problem. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now folks, that is the first shocker. 10,000 talents. Now, depending upon how you handle the weight and that the kind of material it is, whether gold, silver, and so on and so forth, in, in, in modern day, it's, it could be anywhere up to two to six billion dollars. That's a lot of money, isn't it? And here's something that might help you. When Jesus tells a story, actually prior to Jesus telling the story, shortly after, after Jesus' birth, Herod the Great, referred to Herod the Great, Herod the Great died. And one of the ancient historians tells us about Herod the Great, who was in charge of all of the area of what we call Palestine. One of the historians by the name of Josephus tells us that when he collected the taxes for that entire area, it came up to about a thousand talents. So Jesus is telling, think of that, taxes for all that area, about a thousand talents. So Jesus is telling this story um, to Peter, and he says, oh yeah, and this guy was brought before this king, and he owed 10,000 talents. You're going to say, like, no way! I mean, that's so far over the top. That's like my kids when they were younger would say something like this to me. When they wanted to talk to you about a lot of money, they would say, Dad, that guy owed a gazillion dollars. Now, I don't know. 
I don't even know what a gazillion dollars is. I don't think it exists. Afraid of which our country is going with it, we'll probably find out one. But at least at this point, you know, we don't we don't know yet. Okay, so but you know, it, it's just their way of saying like a lot, right? And that's the first shocker of this story. You should read this and say, nobody could owe anybody a gazillion dollars. Somebody else has figured it out that it could possibly be about 250,000 years worth of work for the daily labor, whatever. The point is it's more than you can imagine. And you're hearing this story and you're going like, it's way over the top. And whenever Jesus puts elements into a story where you say, no way, you need to pull back and say, look, that's teaching a really important spiritual truth. I need to figure that one out. Look what the text goes on to say. Verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment should be made. How long would that take? You got a gazillion dollars in your bank account? He could never pay it back. So the guy's panic stricken. So the servant fell to his knees, imploring him, saying, Hey, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Yeah, right. Do you have a rich uncle? <laughs> I mean, Bill Gates can't even pull this one off. Well, I guess maybe he could get pretty close to it. Anyway, but most people could, right? Okay. And and here's the second great shocker of the story. Look at verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. What would that have looked like? Can you see this guy? The king says, sell him, his wife, family, put him in until they pay him back, which is forever, go. And the guy drops down. I mean, he's cutting all kinds of deals. Hey, you know, maybe I can whatever. I put this please. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's ludicrous. That king looks at that servant and he says, it's gone. Why? Wait, wait, what's gone? I don't know what he does exactly, but the debt's gone. Like, 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 Mm -hmm. You don't know me, friend. You can, you can go. How would you feel? A gazillion dollars. I don't know about you, but I would float out that room. Well, you know, I mean, I don't even touch the ground. I mean, I'll be able to just be. I mean, I, I guess on my wife. My kids saying, look, life has changed. Two great shockers that you would never have expected in this story. That anybody could owe that much and that somebody would actually forgive that much. Second scene. Look what he says here in verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a hundred denarii is about a third of a year's salary for the normal worker. That's a fair amount of money, isn't it? Okay. But it doesn't compare a whole lot to Gazellian. But nonetheless, who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, 
he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. Is this sound almost unbelievable? This guy walks outside, and he's just like, I mean, he's just gliding. And all of a sudden, he says, he looks at him and sees Jedediah. That dirty, rotten, low-down, good for, whatever, I don't know, whatever he's saying. And, and, and like, all that is now, let me break that, aren't we? All that is just behind him. What has just happened. And he makes a beeline over that guy, and he grabs him by the neck, and he starts trying to strangle him and say, you pay me what you owe. And I want you to notice what the guy does. This is really fascinating. Look what happens. Verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you. Did you ever hear that one before? It's almost word for word what he said to the king when they were back in the courtroom. And, and here's what I'm expecting. The guy goes out grabs the and the guy drops down, and I'm, I'm waiting for a deja vu. I'm waiting for him to say, what in the world am I doing? Jedediah, would you get up? Do you know what just happened here then? Gazillion dollars, just like that. God. It, no, honestly, is that what you're looking for? I mean, it just makes all the sense in the world. How, how could it be anything else? And here's the third great chakra of this story. After the man makes this plea, verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison so he should pay the debt. Now, and it may be that the guy could actually pay that one back. I mean, it's 100 denarii, but it's perhaps possible. Third scene. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt. That's a tragedy, folks. Man, I thought I was reading a comedy. And after that first scene, man, I'm saying, this is a great story. And then this guy goes out and does this unbelievable thing. After this unbelievable act. And he comes back in before the master, and the master condemns him to be tortured. It's terrible. And Jesus is ready for the punchline. Gives the story, and now he's going to give the significance. Verse 35. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your hearts. That wasn't exactly where Peter was, what Peter was looking for when he asked his first question. He was looking for a pat on the back. Like, oh, Peter, you're my guy. This is a very serious matter, Jesus says. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me talk to you about it. Now, I have a question for you. You read Jesus' response, 
And you have to wrestle a little bit, like, what exactly is going on here? Does it make you feel a little bit uneasy? In other words, when you make a spiritual application, are we suggesting that when somebody comes to faith in Christ and they're a true child of God, and if they don't quite forgive enough, at some point God says, fine, then you're out. You're condemned all over again. Is, is that what the text is saying? There are some people that would actually teach something like that. I think it just goes against the teaching of Scripture. Others will say, well, this is a different kind of forgiveness. This is not judicial forgiveness where you're condemned before God. And it's not about whether you're justified or not. It's about parental forgiveness. You're already in the family, and this is just God disciplining, disciplining his people when they don't live the way they should live. But that's a real hard read of the text, too, to be perfectly honest with you. It's a really hard read of the text. Can I tell you what I think is happening? It's a form of what we might call dramatic irony. That somebody could possibly have been forgiven so much from God and not allow that to change the, the way they respond to others. So that not forgiving somebody else is the evidence that somebody has never known God to start with. And you say, think about her. Aren't you sucking that out of your thumb a little bit? Kind of like reading your own theology in? Let me tell you why I say it. This particular passage is mentioned one other time. This idea is mentioned one other time in Matthew's Gospel. Back in Matthew chapter 6. In what we call the Lord's Prayer. And almost verbatim he says... If you don't forgive your brother their sins, neither will my Father forgive you your sins. You know the passage? People say, okay, so that means i got to work for my, my, my salvation. No, it doesn't mean that at all. You know why we know that? Because when you go to the end of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we find out people will stand before Jesus Christ and they will say, I know him. And Jesus will look at some of them and say, those of you who do not evidence the reality of your faith by the way you live are not my children. So depart from me. He doesn't say because I once knew you and then I didn't know you, does he? He says because I never knew you. So what this passage is arguing is people who genuinely have been forgiven by God will forgive. Forgiving people forgive. I'm not saying that's easy. But there was a time in my life when I owed God a gazillion dollars. For me personally, it's a lot more than that probably. And he looked down at me, and in one fell swoop, he said, it's gone. Gazillion dollars of debt, a lifetime rebellion against me. Gone! Like, like, like all of it? Mm -hmm. Because of my son, it's gone. How can I move back and end my relationships? Say, you dirty, rotten, good for nothing, what are you just giving that money? 
is this, is to extend it in all of my relationships. That's what the text is teaching us. Forgiving people, forgive. Now, to help you with this, I'm going to ask you to do a, a math project with me. Are, are, are we okay? okay you, I mean, it's got five blocks to it, so you're really going to have to stay with me. All right? I hesitate to do it in the morning, but hey, we're going to try it anyway. If you've had coffee, you should hopefully be okay. I want you to think about a lower amount and an upper amount of money. If I borrowed it from you and I never paid it back, how would you feel about me? Okay? So, start with zero. Amount of money if I borrowed it from you and I never paid it back, it wouldn't bother you a bit. It may be zero to a dollar. I don't know. Whatever. You come up with it. What bug you a bit? You got a zero up to a certain amount? Okay. Next block up. Amount of money if I borrowed from you and I never paid it back, it would annoy you a little bit. So, you know, when you saw me walking down the road, you must say, when you saw me, first, first thing you may think when you see me is, huh, huh, and then you try to walk. Amount of money if I borrow it from you. Anyway, do you have a lower and an upper amount? Are you tracking with me? Next plot up. Amount of money if I borrow it from you and I never pay it back, it would keep you awake at night. You would wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you would think, think binary. <laughs> Lower and upper amount. You got it? Are you okay? Wouldn't bug you a bit, a little irritation, now I'm waking you up at night. Lower and upper amount. Amount of money if I borrowed from you and I never paid it back, it would impact you, your financial situation significantly. Lower and upper amount. We okay, just one more, just one more. Yeah. Amount of money if I borrowed it from you and I never paid it back, it would virtually sink your ship financially. So whatever it is, add in tonight. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to take what you make in a year. I know, I'm working this, math numbers, you've got to do it for the accountants in the room. I want you to take what you make in a year, and I want you to divide it by three. You got a figure? If I borrowed that much money from you and I never paid it back, would that just be a minor, would that not bug you at all? Would it be here? Wake you up at night? I don't know about you. But if you owed me a third of what I make in a year, I'm way up here. <laughs> and this is what I think is really important. And I want you to forget this. You know what I love about this passage? Jesus says a hundred denarii, which is a third of a year's salary, is a lot of money. Jesus never minimizes the sin that one person commits against another. That's the beauty of this text. A hundred denarii is a third of your salary. That's a lot of money. You know what he does in this passage? He does something far better. Without ever minimizing the hundred denarii, he says, I want you to get a scale out. I want you to throw that hundred denarii Third of your salary. What happens to the scale? 
Are you good, sir? Now what I want you to do is I want you to take a gazillion dollars and stick it on the other side. Right? Off the charts. Without minimizing the way people hurt us, because the Bible does not do that, Jesus doesn't say, no big deal. It's a third of your salary. He does something much better. He says, think how much I've forgiven you. A gazillion dollars gone. I, it was, that's why people were in hell forever, because I could never pay it. And one fell short because of his blessed son, I'm forgiven. How can I walk into any relationship and not forgive? Now, folks, I know it hurts, and I know it's also often a, a, a painful process. I get all that. I, I understand that. I'm a realist. But I would say this. For those who truly know God, the Spirit of God will work in their heart, and this will become a reality by His grace. Because forgiven people forgive. Can I read something to you? Kind of close out our time. This is a summary of Corey Ten Boom. Maybe you've read her, her book. It's a great book. And this is a quick summary from Enrique, and I just want to read it to you. I want you to hear about the power of the gospel. Only the gospel can do this in a person's life. Listen to what it says. During World War II, Corey Ten Boom was confined in the concentration camp at Ravensbrück for her part in sheltering Jews from the Nazi oppressors. Her father died in another camp, and in the dehumanizing conditions of Ravensbrück, she was not only humiliated and degraded, she watched the life of her sister Betsy ebb away. However, God's grace was real in the midst of all the suffering, and after the war, she went to Germany to preach God's forgiveness. Following one service, a man came forward whom she recognized immediately. One of the worst experiences in camp had been delousing showers where the women were ogled and taunted by leering guards. One man was, this man was one of those SS guards, a man who had been one of the cruelest, especially to her sister Betsy. Now, he stood in front of her with his hand outstretched. Ja, Fraulein, it is wonderful that Jesus forgives all our sins, just as you say. Corey froze as all the memories flooded back. The man continued. You mentioned Ravensbrook. I was a guard there. But since then, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me, but I would like to hear it from you as well, Fraulein. Will you forgive me? Corey stood there paralyzed. She couldn't forgive. Betsy had died there. She had been humiliated there. And yet at the same time, she was ashamed that she could preach about forgiveness, but couldn't or wouldn't forgive. Inwardly, she cried, Lord, forgive me, but I can't forgive. As she prayed, though, 
She felt not only forgiven, but set free. The glacier of hate melted within, and her hand unfroze. As she reached out her hand and spoke of forgiveness, she felt another burden of the past fall away. <clears throat> there is no other explanation for that but the gospel. None. It's not about ultimately feeling better and all that. It's being overwhelmed with grace and forgiveness of a gazillion dollars and much more. And forgiving. People that refuse to forgive either give evidence that they've never experienced God's forgiveness or they've forgotten how much God has forgiven them. Will you let him do that work in your life? Is there anybody on your list? Somebody you'd like to bite before you die? Will you turn that over to God? Because forgiving people forgive. Father, we are such a needy people. We're in need of your forgiveness. Through our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we are in need of your strength, grace, and wisdom to extend that same forgiveness to others. Will you, Lord, by your Spirit, help us to learn the freedom that can only come by being overwhelmed by your grace toward us? And allow that to change the way we treat others. Lord, remove the names of those people we want to bite before we die. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.